Farmers are the backbone of uh, really society. They are the backbone of our economy and having a profitable farming venture makes all the difference. As I visited with many of the regenerative farmers in, in that space, the work of Jim Garrish is brought up over and over and he is an absolute resource that I think we can learn a lot from. Welcome to the Sewing Prosperity Podcast with host Logan Duvall. This father of four is an Arkansas successful small business owner whose world was turned upside down with the cancer diagnosis of his then five-year-old son. As Napoleon Hill famously stated, every adversity, every failure, every heartbreak carries with it the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit. Come and join us on our journey to create a blue zone community with a focus on a holistic approach to anti-cancer, regenerative farming, and strengthening local economies. Jim, uh, really, really happy. Just grateful that you've taken the time to sit down and visit with me. Uh, the uh, the extensive experience you have with uh, agriculture, especially on a route that you know to many farmers seems like an alternative or maybe even an extreme measure. Um, so you wrote the book "Kick the Hay Habit." Do you care to just go into a little bit of that detail on? why that is such a, you know, quote unquote, extreme for somebody to even think that they don't need to use hay. See, I don't think it's an extreme position at all. Uh, all you have to do is, you know, look back historically and think about um, in a big part of this country in the 19th, early 20th century, 19th century, there's a lot of areas that didn't use any hay. And then we can think about the buffalo and the elk and all the wild animals and no one fed them hay and they got on fine. And so when I first came to the University of Missouri in 1981, and I, I was there 22 years, um, basically my assignment was to make beef cattle competitive with soybeans on marginal farmland. And the only way we were going to do that was to bring costs down. And when you look at most, uh, I mean, for the last 40, 50 years, if you look at most cow-calf uh, budgets, the biggest single line item in there is feed costs, and a huge chunk of that is winter feed costs. And so if you want to improve profitability, the starting point is um, cutting back on those winter feed costs. And hay is the most common uh, harvested feed fed to beef cattle. And so, and I'll, I'll be honest, initially, my first few years at Missouri, we were looking at hay feeding systems, hay storage systems, you know, that kind of research, just how to make, you know, hay a little bit more affordable and finally realized that if you want to change the bottom line of a cow-calf operation, you've got to get rid of the hay. And so from the mid-80s on, we started working towards uh, more and more winter grazing options. And on our own farm in Missouri, um, you know, we got to the point where we made no hay, and if we had to feed hay, we bought it, and that was rarely more than a week. Um, you know, just when we have a couple of ice storms or something was the only time um, we would feed hay. And so um, 
from those experiences, and at the Ford Systems Research Center, we were running fall calving cows through the entire winter on nothing but stockpiled pasture. So we knew it could be done both um, with spring calving cows and fall calving cows. Um, and that took me down the path to eventually riding Kick the Hay Habit because it's such an important thing for most uh, farmers and ranchers in this country to do because it is the difference between very often the difference between being profitable and not being profitable. So it's just simple economics. It's like just taking care of what is our biggest expense and then, you know, doing the best we can to mitigate that. I mean, it just kind of, it it, it really seems simple, Jim, <laughs> not as extreme. I guess the management is where some might think it's it's extreme. But yeah. one thing that I'm, I'm really curious to understand is, there is such hardship in agriculture with the conventional model. I think the conventional model is destroying rural America. I think it's destroyed our food system. It's destroying a lot of things that build up the fag fabric of a prosperity society. With profitability of these farmers, that should be like of the utmost importance to overcome that, shouldn't it? Yeah, you would think so. Um, one of the things Alan Nation used to say very often, I'm not sure if it originated with him, uh, but he's the one I heard it say most often, and that is most people would rather fail conventionally than succeed unconventionally. Um, what, what I learned through the 40 plus years that I've been working in this field, it isn't whether something makes biological sense, whether or not a farmer adopts it. It isn't necessarily if it makes economic sense. It is simply how will my family and my community view me? And if you step outside of the expectations of your peers, it becomes a very uncomfortable position. And that's the biggest obstacle to change is uh, people's unwillingness to step out of their comfort zone. I think that's a, a great point. Uh, you know, talking with uh, Will Harris down at White Oak Pastures, one of the things that he has done and definitely received is, uh, you know, some, some weird looks and stuff as he has tried to change from that conventional model his dad did, and he did early on, to where what he's doing now. And, I mean, I think his neighbors and even family call called that group the damn Harrises just to <laughs> – because they are stepping out of the conventional model. But – I think the proof is in the pudding. What Will has done by doing this vertically integrated system, it's better in the environment. It's building community. So here here in Arkansas, I look around eastern and southern, and I'm watching it just die. So it's monoculture, uh, farmland, uh, up the poverty, and the, it's sad. It is shriveling up and dying, and that's a big part of the mission is how do we create Arkansas as a prosperity zone? We should be, in my opinion, completely self-sufficient. We should, we should be able to be sustainable, but the agriculture is the backbone of that. Will, can you go into uh, the community-building aspect that you have experienced over over the you know your 40-plus years in this in regards to changing some of these management ways of thinking and applications? Well, unfortunately, the, uh, the consumer, and we are all consumers, um, 
because we have such a cheap, cheap food system, and it has been touted for many years that Americans spend the lowest percentage of their per capita income on food compared to any other country in the world. And so we have a couple generations of consumers who um, just expect food to be cheap. Um, we also, in the developed world, have the highest per capita health care expenditures. And it goes back to, as you said, um, conventional farming is ruining our health, our communities, all of those things. And people need to understand that good food is the foundation of health. And so we, as farmers and ranchers, every opportunity that we have, we need, well, number one, we need to ensure that our practices are producing a healthy, nutritious food product. Much of industrial agriculture does not do that. Um, so we have to make sure that that's what we're producing and this whole movement of regenerative farming, regenerative ranching, uh, restoring soil health is a step towards producing uh, healthier, more nutritious food. So we have to do that and then we, on every opportunity we can, whether that's through farmer markets, through local food networks, to just calling the newspaper to come out and do a story about what we're doing. Um, we need to get that story of healthy living to the consumers because the vast majority of consumers in this country, price point is still their number one determinant of where they shop and what foods they buy. But, You're exactly right. And so that health topic is probably the individual most important aspect that we cover honestly so i own a farmer's market i've got four kids and my oldest was diagnosed with stage four cancer when he was five and so as i dove into why what happened what do we do looking for these answers that the nutrition was such a important aspect of that but it just doesn't stop there jim it's it kept going back farther and farther and farther all the way to agriculture and i think that's why we cover so much agriculture in here but it's because it's simply cause and effect it's sowing and reaping we have to get back to the very very basics yeah did you grow up on a farm i did uh, I'm presuming uh, a very conventional did, farm. Uh, well, uh, you know, I've, I've actually had this kind of this wide range. I've got one grandpa that raises broilers for Tyson, another grandpa that was a, a custom hay baler and uh, raised uh, feeder calves. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've experienced that. Uh, grew up, I worked for a, a veterinarian, so I have been in all the Cargill houses, uh, you know, across farms across the state of Arkansas. So, and then done our done our own, uh, just small scale. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up in very conventional agriculture, and for the first half of my life, I largely believed everything that the industry was telling me. Um, and uh, most of us these days seem to have our health story of we knew something wasn't right, and then you try to figure out what it is. And some people, uh, you know, go to conventional doctors and they get on various, you know, prescription meds to treat this, that, and the other thing. 
And then there's others of us who, you know, took the, the nutrition and food piece of the, our lifestyle and said, huh, maybe that's what we need to change. And um, the, uh, the conventional medical system and, and our government, you know, Department of Health and Human Services, FDA, um, all those organizations just push the uh, medication, medication, medication pathways. And yeah, it's, it's easy to do. And to a certain extent, I believe it's completely addictive. Also, it does make you feel better at the time, but rarely do any of these treatments actually solve the core problem. So you're just hooked for life on taking various meds uh, because to, uh, to offset the lack of proper nutrition. Proper That's, nutrition yeah, it's heals very almost profitable every business. Yeah, it's a very profitable business. Yeah, and uh, so I, I think that's it's really important where, where you were saying, uh, you know, the, the government and the the industries that are, you know, big pharma, big big agriculture, the, the other big pharma, um, big food, all of it's pretty much the same thing, though. And the it lobbyist is. power that we've got in these bills is sickening. Um, and so as, as I just look at it, I, I kind of grow more and more frustrated. And I feel like the only thing that we possibly can do is ourselves. We have to start with ourselves, be, be an inspiration or be the solution for our families, ourselves, our families, and let that expand out through our sphere of influence. I, I agree completely. Everything starts, uh, not everything, most successful movements and shifts in civilization have started at the grassroots level and built up from there. Um, Top-down positive changes very rarely ever happen. Top-down negative changes, we have a lot of that going on. And, you know, we, if you follow the news at all, you read about it every day. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Jim, I've, I've got a really interesting question for you. If, if you were the Secretary of Ag for, let's say, Arkansas or Missouri, where you were before, what, what is uh, kind of that policy? How would you try to create that, that framework to establish things that actually help the people, help farmers, help the consumers? Well, it really it, it has to start because we have this complete top-down agricultural bureaucracy. In Washington, D.C., the USDA... Uh, the whole farm support program, almost everything that they do is actually geared towards crops that are, you know, we look at corn, soybeans, wheat, and those are the crops that have led to the cheap food policy, farming for maximum caloric yield rather than optimal nutritional yield. And until we do away with uh, farm programs, that support unhealthy crops, land degrading crops. Uh, most farmers are just locked into, you know, that support system, and it's very hard to walk away from that. Uh, the few people who completely change their operations from being uh, government-supported, commodity-based to actually producing food 
and marketing to consumers, you know, that shows a profitable model for uh, farming as direct food production rather than just generating commodities that get processed into imitation foods. Um, so I, I don't know that the Secretary of Ag in Missouri or Arkansas can do a whole lot to change the nature of agriculture in that state as long as the federal government dominates the whole system and continues to steer farmers into producing those crops that are mostly uh, negative for our health and well-being, both our personal health, our community health, and the broader environmental health. Every time there's a farm bill, you know, process happening in Washington, D.C., um, I would like to believe that someday they're going to change this, but it always comes back to, you already mentioned, the lobby power of uh, big food, big pharma, all of those things um, are geared to maintaining the status quo because those are the people, or I shouldn't even say people, those are the organizations, the corporations that profit from the status quo. Yeah, I think I think it's become extremely evident that you know our country is run by a corporatocracy, um, and it, it's just a kind of a, a it's disheartening. And uh, but I, I think we got to kind of focus on the on on the positives and what we can do. One thing that has been eye opening is when we visited with uh, Dr. Alan Williams, he brought up the mental health epidemic in farmers. So uh, the suicide rate is astronomical. I had no idea. Uh, to the degree at which it, it was it was that bad. If things are that bad, Jim, I mean, honestly, why why are we not questioning this more? Or do people feel just simply trapped? I, I think a lot of people uh, do recognize that they are trapped, and it's the perhaps the frustration of not knowing how to get out of the trap that leads them to you know end their life. Uh, maybe, though, it because uh, a lot of mental illness originates out of dysfunctional guts, it's because most farmers do not lead a healthy lifestyle. You know, we like to think that we're outdoors and we're doing all that, but if you're sitting in the seat of a tractor in an uh, air-conditioned or heated cab day after day after day, um, that's not really a healthy lifestyle. And... Um, Again, because uh, schizophrenia, depression, uh, increasing evidence of Alzheimer's are all the product of bad gut health. You know, that's the issue that needs to be addressed, and that cycles us right back to USDA and a farm program that supports crops that lead to people having dysfunctional guts. You're exactly right, and when you start looking at the dysfunction on the gut based off of like glyphosate, it's uh, it's absolutely terrifying. One one aspect of all all this that we're trying to do is is you know make sure the awareness of health it matters because if we're healthy, if we're optimized, we can do more. We can do a better job at whatever it is that it's our mission in life. And so by being healthy, we we can just simply do more. I'll. I'll want to point out something else on that nutrition topic. 
when we start looking into uh, the mitochondrial dysfunction, which so it goes you know a deeper level than the gut health, uh, Dr. Chris Palmer put out a book called Brain Energy, and he is a psychiatrist that has gone into the connection of diet and mental health, whether it is schizophrenia, anxiety, bipolar, mm-hmm. ADHD, all all of it based off of the mitochondrial dysfunction. But guess what messes up the mitochondria? Deficiencies and toxicities. Exactly. Which leads back to agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, food is medicine. Food is health. <laughs> but also food is poison and food is unhealth. Depends on which pathway you go down. That's, that's that is beautiful. So I I know we've you know we've covered a lot. I didn't want to just dive into just simply the hay and grazing because you have so much information out there that anybody can get that. I wanted a little bit of a new take, and I had listened to you on the the Charlie uh, I think it's Arnott uh, out yes. in Australia, where you you went on to some of these different topics, and I think this is so important because. Too often what I have found is it's the same thing just being regurgitated just by a different person or just a different setting. And if we don't hit it from a different angle where maybe it clicks, you know, like two people can tell the same story, maybe a little bit different. And that second time or (laughs) third time it hits. So I, I really I appreciate your perspective, and I know you have your your own family's health journey that brought you to this. But I really think that we've got to connect health more to agriculture on the farmers. I, I love I love farmers. I want to support farmers. Sometimes it sounds like I'm, I'm attacking them, and I'm not at, at any stretch. It's the model. So how, how do you feel, being in these thousands of conferences, we can get that message to hit home? I don't like censorship. I don't like quotas. Uh, I don't like things that say, for you to be on a conference, you have to have done this. But uh, what we really need at all of these conferences and is more and more speakers who have lived the regenerative journey. Um, it's nice to feature, you know, uh, young people who are, you know, one, two, maybe three years into uh, regenerative agriculture. But... Um, there's still lack experience, I think lack depth of understanding. And, you know, that's about the only good thing I have to say about getting older is I think it does increase your depth of understanding things just because you, when you've been exposed to so many different things, different situations over the years. Your situational awareness begins to increase. Um, Your skepticism of what uh, the industry is telling you, those things uh, increase. Um, Now, there is... You know, I don't want to come across completely negative on the the whole farming community. And, you know, sometimes I do get accused of that. Um, you know, there's that bumper sticker that says, don't criticize a farmer with your mouth full. Um, but if your belly is full of crap, um, 
we do need to be critical about what's going on. Uh, but if you're going to be critical, you better have some solutions to offer as well. And uh, I'm kind of talking in a circle here, um, coming back to what we need to be doing in conferences is making sure that we're offering solutions, that we aren't just pointing out what's wrong with the system and saying, we need to change, we need to change. Um, when you're ready to go to a conference and point out this is a problem and we need to change, we better have people who can deliver a solution on that program, not people who just point out that we have a problem and say we need to change. It's, it, it's got to be about solutions. I love that. And you just articulated why I will not be on boards or I have not been going to conferences because it's simply a gripe fest and it's pointing out all the problems. I would rather spend my time interviewing incredible people like you that we can come out with the solutions and spread those lessons. Uh, so I, thank you. Thank you for saying that. But we You're also welcome. have been... A, have you know we we've had Sally Fallon Morrell on you know she's the president of the Weston A Price Foundation mm -hmm. it's uh, we get doctors all the time it's those solutions and coming at it from these different angles so when you were saying you kind of we're talking in a circle I understand completely because I can't I can't dissect it to where it's segmented it is a circle all of it is so interconnected mm -hmm. uh, and agriculture health lifestyle it all it it is is hyper connected. It, it, it absolutely is. Um, one of the presentations that I give, you know, fairly regularly is, you know, webinars and seminars is uh, uh, building or creating excellent pasture from the soil up. And the whole theme there is in biological systems, you change one thing. And rather than being like, like physics, where it's kind of a linear, you do this and this will be the response. And it's always predictable that this is what's going to happen. Uh, in biology, every management choice we make, every time we switch something within a biological system, there's a multidimensional effect and it's multidirectional. We change things in every uh, direction. Now, through most of the 20th century, industri agri industrial agriculture was shifting things in negative directions. And you know, it's still multidimensional. It just means bad things were happening in more levels of the ecosystem. Um, I do genuinely hope that the 21st century goes down truly as the century of agriculture regeneration. We're getting a good start uh, uh, on it so far. And as we make these small changes in our biological management, we're seeing ripple effects, multiple directions, some things we never even um, expected. So, you know, I go back to some of the research we were doing in the late 80s and the 90s, and I had no idea that um, we would see such positive changes. Uh, you know, I, I was looking to just cheapen up winter feeding. Uh, but then, when, and you know, our, our 
program in what became management intensive grazing, basically a time controlled grazing, um, that started as rationing out stockpiled feed in the winter time. But we figured out that, you know, to be able to have that stockpiled feed in the winter time, you have to change your management during the growing season. And so as we did that, um, we saw a great broadening of plant species diversity in the pastures, you know, started seeing more butterflies and birds and things. And, you know, in 1987, I had no idea that uh, time-controlled grazing, which I was looking at just as a feed efficiency tool to use in the winter, that it would have such a broad and sweeping effect. And we did very little looking at the soil, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Um, but what we understand now is as we increased that plant diversity within the pastures, we were also altering, you know, diversity uh, below ground. So we didn't even, I don't think I heard the term soil health until sometime in the early 2000s when I was cool in the 70s. They talked about soil quality, but not soil health. And so we were, uh, before we even knew the term to use of soil health, uh, we were having a positive impact on soil health because we changed something at the top end of our operation. Had no idea how far that ripple effect would go. And um, so the, the point in, in that presentation that I give, the point that I'm making, and I do it repeatedly through there, is that everything is hooked together. You can't change one thing and only expect this particular result. You change one thing and there's an extensive ripple effect that goes out all around you. And we just have to learn to be better observers to understand the positives and negatives of those changes. Better observers. I think I think that's why <laughs> things, when we ask questions, it's so important because when we don't ask those appropriate questions, we don't know what to observe either. Um, mm -hmm. It's... it's uh, because some way too often we're focusing on on the wrong the wrong thing. But I have been just fascinated with the connection between the soil and the microbiome of the you know the like a gut microbiome on and the interconnectedness of that. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, to go back to the the solutions, Jim, would you agree that getting away from this we must feed the world mentality oh. and go to having <laughs> Having profitable, regenerative agriculture that's locally produced and consumed is the solution. Absolutely. Um, globalization, globalization of agriculture has led to the starvation of far many people than it has helped feed. Um, you know, a lot of people in rural communities and the farming and ranching community have a very low regard for the United Nations. Um, United Nations, you know, there's Food and Agricultural Organization, there's the World Health Organization, they have all these different things. The, the Food and FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, I, it's probably 10 years ago now, maybe 12, you know, put out um, a publication that really outlined 
the only way to feed the world is at a local grassroots organic or semi-organic level. Industrial agriculture absolutely is not going uh, to do it. Part of it is because of how little money a um, industrial ag leaves in the local community. Whereas if we have a local food network, you know, people are just passing money around within the community, and that's what keeps um, communities strong. And I bring up the that F UN and FAO because um, it's you know, sometimes I compare it to scripture. You can go to the Bible and cherry pick out, you know, a verse here, a verse there, and justify almost any position you want to take on any issue in the world. Uh, UN publications are the same way. If it comes from WHO, World Health Organization, I'm very skeptical of it, and we don't want them to have any more power than they already have. Uh, but if Food and Agricultural Organization is going to put out a publication that says worldwide, uh, we need to have local regenerative food systems, hey, yeah, then I'm all aboard with the UN and FAO. Uh, but, yeah, I, I firmly believe that the key to getting our population healthier, getting farmers and ranchers mentally healthier, getting our communities healthy again, getting the environment healthy again, it absolutely comes down to a much more local food system uh, produced uh, by people on the land rather than just, you know, butts in a tractor seat. I, I, I'm so happy that you agree with that. One, one more thing that I'd like to get your opinion on before, before we hop off here is to go with what you were saying on, on kind of that, you know, the, the organizations and stuff. I have, I have found out that in Arkansas, Bill Gates owns over 48,000 acres of agricultural land on navigable waterways in Arkansas. <laughs> do, do you have any opinion on, on <laughs> that? Well, it, for being as smart a man as he is, it amazes me what an idiot Bill Gates is about anything actually related to ecosystem functions and, you know, healthy food and healthy lifestyles. Um, I think it's just as offensive that Bill Gates owns all of that land as it would be if it were the Chinese who owned that land. Um, land ownership on that scale uh, by absentee owners is not good for the local community at all. I agree wholeheartedly. I was just really curious as to your take because I, I, you know, I over, I, I was prepping for another, another interview and I came across that and I thought, man, that, that just don't pass the smell test. I, I don't, I don't like this at all. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, uh, Jim, thank you. Where where can we send people to best connect with you, uh, the resources that you have out there? So our family business is American Grazing Land Services. You can find us on the web at americangrazinglands.com. Uh, just, you know, Google American Grazing Lands and you, you'll find, you know, Facebook link, LinkedIn, different things. Um, Another part of the family business is, yeah, we sell electric fencing, stock water supplies, forage seed, livestock weighing equipment, and then uh, a lot of 
books. The, the, I've, I've written four books that are available on our website. We have uh, from several other authors, you know, that I know and respect. Um, you know, we, we, we have a bookstore, you know, just click the bookstore tab. Um, for people who want to watch a lot of YouTube videos, you can go to um, the Grazing Media Resources page, and we're linked to several uh, podcasts through there. I think there's 45 of my videos up there, and Logan will want to get a link now that you know I'm part of uh, you know Selling Prosperity <laughs> group. We'll want to get a link to uh, your podcasts also put up at the website. That'll that'll happen. Very good. Well, Jim, thank you. Thank you for your time, my friend. I have greatly enjoyed it, and I think you have provided provided tremendous value. So uh, thanks again, my friend. You're welcome, and thanks for the opportunity, because the more people we can reach with this kind of information and suggestions for moving ahead, the better. Thank you very much, Logan. You have a good day. Thank you for joining us on Sewing Prosperity. Be sure to follow along across the social media platforms, including YouTube, and be sure to go to sewingprosperity.com. Thank you for listening to the Sewing Prosperity podcast. We hope that you have learned something new and that you are inspired to adopt regenerative practices in your community. Remember that by working together, we can create a sustainable and abundant future for ourselves and for future generations.